Welcome back to the What's Your One More podcast. I'm your host, Quentin Harris, and I'm joined with a special guest today. And I say special because you never get to hear him on the show. My producer, Charlie Walker, is going to be joining me today. And then we've got an amazing guest with us that's joining us. Um, very glad and, and just very thankful this gentleman take time out of his day to be with us today. Uh, Charlie, I know he's a dear friend of yours, and thank you for getting him on our show today. Very pumped up. But we've got Mr. J Dash with us today. Um, you know, you may you may already know many different things about him, but I tell you what, we're about to unpack a lot of different things that you may not know today. But before we get started, J Dash is a piano prodigy who performed his first concert at the age of five. And by the time he was eight years old, this classically trained pianist loved to play Mozart for his family and friends. Throughout his teens, however, he cut his teeth playing in school bands as well as various blues and jazz bands. A rapper, songwriter, producer, engineer, and multi-instrumentalist, this Renaissance man also holds a degree in computer science from the University of Florida. Although having already amassed an impressive collection of material over the years, J-Dash's pulse-pounding dance sensation, WAP, went double platinum. In 2011, he founded Slap Dash Productions, a boutique firm specializing in music production and licensing for TV and film. He also created Jack's Beat Battle as a way to inspire and pour into the music community of his hometown in Jacksonville, Florida. He currently resides in Austin, Texas, where he has chaired Make Music Day. He sits on several boards, startups, and he's created music for the San Antonio Spurs and scored a film and continues to promote, excuse me, continues to promote music to this day. Jay Dash, welcome to the show, my friend. Great to have you on here today. Man, thank you so much for having me. It's just good to see y'all. Good to have a little little touch points back in Jacksonville. For yeah, sure. man. Welcome, welcome back. Uh, you know, I know you're joining us via Zoom, but welcome back to your hometown here, my friend. Uh, and, you know, Charlie, welcome to the show. You're always behind the scenes. It's great to have you out here today. It's great to be here, brother. <laughs> so, man. so this is going to be a, it's going to be a fun episode, you know, and uh, first of all, man, love the shirt. We didn't talk about that in the pre-show, man, but definitely, definitely <laughs> love that. I, I don't know how many times I've said Michael Jackson over the course of the last week to people, because I think it's because it's Taylor Swift tour that's taking place right now. I keep telling people, I'm like, dude, that's, that's my kid. Michael Jackson. That's their generation's Michael Jackson right now, man. That's for sure. that's that's how it was for for dad. You know, that's what I keep telling him all the time, man. Just uh, music plays a big role in my household. Uh, while one of us play uh, musician, I think there's more Sonos in our house than there are TVs. And uh, you know, and uh, Charlie, a little different, man. You're you. Know, if I don't see you with a production stand, you got a guitar in your hand. So, man, it's uh, super cool. So, man, I'm honored you'd be on the show today. Thank you for joining us. And, um, you know, as I was talking pre-show, you know, you you got a lot of different things to unpack here. You know, while being well-known for a multi-platinum hit that was just scorching to this date when I did research on the show, like I typed in your name, the amount of YouTubes are insane with people doing, you know, all different kinds of dance moves this. And as you said earlier, a new social media platform comes on, there it is again. So you're, you're all over the place. But, you know, when I read that bio, classically trained pianist, you know, is that where you got your start? Is that, I mean, obviously at five years old, but is that, is that what got you into music or the keys? What brought you into the music world? Absolutely. I um, started playing by ear. And uh, I honestly, I didn't come up in a musical family like my parents weren't musicians or anything like that. So my musical journey was very much one of self-discovery. Um, and so I got to discover different genres at my own time and in, in my own pace. Um, and so, yeah, I started with, with classical music, um, then got into blues and jazz after that, just because I had a neighbor who was into blues music. And so I was like, oh, I didn't even know this world existed. <laughs> Started playing like Muddy Waters and B.B. King and Dang. some Eric Clapton, some Dr. John when I was like 9, 10, 11 years old. Um, I was playing in like blues bars and stuff with a, with a band uh, of, of friends at the time. And so, 
yeah, that's where I got my cut uh, in my first start in music, for sure. And so would you say that that influence, you know, led into kind of like, maybe like the, the scores of, of that music led, led you down the career of your rap career or your producing career? Like where would, would you say that's what kind of took you into that or did it have a huge influence in that? Absolutely. I think, uh, I think we're all just a summation of, of all of our experiences up until whatever point we are at, right? So um, learn, having that musical journey helped shape how I look at music, how I create music. Um, I discovered hip hop. I think I was like 12, 13 when I was really getting into hip hop music. Um, I heard like Timberland's Up Jumps the Boogie and I was like, I want to do that forever now. Like, I don't know what, <laughs> that was, what was, was that? Was that Timberland and Magoo? Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's a that classic like, album. That whole Virginia scene was like taking off and I was like, oh man, that sounds amazing. Um, so I started like my path into music production, um, started understanding how all of that works, started working with a lot of people, um, got into like film and film production and stuff like that because music is really just controlling emotions. Um, and so understanding how how serious that is and how, you know, transformative music can be kind of allow me to approach it from all angles or different angles, maybe. Yeah. I mean, music can change your mood in a matter of seconds, man. It can pump you up. It can relax you. It can get you in an altered state to where you're out of a funk and back into something good. You know, uh, like, like if I was to hop in your car right now, what, what's going to be on your playlist? Well, see, that first assumes that music is only in the car. Okay. And they, <laughs> That's true. You know what? I just admitted it's in the house. I should just say what's on your playlist now, but I have a different playlist for my right. ride than I do the house. Right. And it, it really just depends. Sometimes it's like some Afro beats. Sometimes it's like like just straight up hip hop stuff. I've been on Fonte uh, a lot recently. So he's from, from Little Brother. Um, man, a little, little bit of everything, to be honest with you. Some R&B some jazz, some chill, like chill stuff. If I'm doing like work, I can't listen to music with lyrics. Um, and so I, it has to be instrumental so okay. I can like zone out and get work done. So it really just depends. And I might listen to some metal if I'm like doing some workouts or, you know, whatever. So it just, it just depends. Yeah, no, I definitely, uh, I agree with you that, man. All, all, all different playlists for different settings of what you're in right now. So walk me through the, uh, you talked about film production and you talked about owning, you know, the, the, the film company. Are you also producing stuff as well on the film side? I mean, I know you're doing, you're involved in the music side, but on the film side, are you involved in the production standpoint as well? I haven't dove into that okay. as much. Um, honestly, I think it's, it's one of those things where I just admire from afar. Um, and I, I really enjoy the process, but, you know, in terms of creating, I'm my most creative on the musical side. Okay. Do you have any projects you're working on right now you'd want to talk about? Um, I would definitely check out the movie 83 Days, which is a short film um, from a director that I actually met in Jacksonville who helped produce the uh, WAP music video. Okay. Uh, created a film called 83 Days, and it's about the life of George Stinney Jr., who is the youngest person in the country to be put to death by the electric chair as an African-American kid at 14 years old. And it was back in the 1940s. And so it's one of those heart wrenchers that, uh, you know, I was, you know, fortunate enough to kind of be a part of. And it's kind of made, started making its way through the, uh, the, the short film circuit and, okay. and it's doing its thing and it's it's an amazing piece of, piece of work. I was just happy to be a part of it. Yeah, 83 Days. We'll have that in the show notes in there and on the uh, on our YouTube notes as well. So check that out at the What's Your One More on uh, subscribe on YouTube there. Check it out. You'll find that on there for us here. So you mentioned 
you mentioned the three-letter word I was trying not to bring up, but you brought it up first. So I was like, he said WAP. So I was good. <laughs> I was trying to avoid it, but you brought it up. I did have some questions though. And I mean, uh, Absolutely. And, and, and the questions I wanted to ask about that are this. I noticed there was a difference between when you recorded that and when it took off. And I, Charlie has shared some of the story of it, but I'd love to hear the two of you guys talk about that moment a little bit here about what, what what do you what do you remember? What do you recall took that off to that level? Wow, that's that's a great question. Um, music is all about timing, and so when I made the WAP, I made it because my friends and I used to dance. Like we came up with the dance first. Okay. We used to dance to other people's music, you know. And a friend of mine, Fleazy, was like, "Yo, we should make our own song." For this dance, because every time we did the dance, everybody wanted to do it with us. <laughs> it's so much fun. And it was yeah. like that first viral moment, but it was live. It wasn't okay. online, it was like a live viral moment. And so I was like, yeah, man, we should. We got to capture that moment. And I went back to my dorm room at the time and I made the WAP in like a couple hours. You did your college and, uh, dorm? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And made it in like a couple hours. And I was like, what do y'all think it is? <laughs> <laughs> and their first reaction was like, that sounds cool. <laughs> like, I, what? It'll work. like, whatever. And so um, there's a DJ back in Gainesville. He helped break the record like in clubs. His name was Clark Shepard. And then it was Clark Shepard and DJ Tara, rest in peace. Um, they, they helped break my record in Gainesville. That's when I was at the University of Florida. And then I had a couple of girls that would like dance when I would perform. I was like, hey, y'all should shoot a video to the WAP and we'll put it on YouTube. So they shot this video and it's real grainy, but it was like the first WAP video. And at the time on YouTube, like the people really like going hard promote music was like me and Soldier Boy. Okay. You know? yeah. And so I went, we put the, the music out there and then I was like out making more music. We was doing more shows. Um, and then I came back to that YouTube video and it had half a million views. Ugh. And I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> I've never had this happen before. I didn't have a manager. I didn't have a team. I was just like, just on the strength, just me and my friends just pushing stuff that we thought was cool. So the, um, fir the first video was half a million views, the grainy one. Yeah. Because there was like, yeah. there's Miley and that stuff I'm sure you're going to bring up. But like, I didn't realize the grainy one had half a million views. I, is it still on YouTube? Yeah, it's still on YouTube. It's probably one of the only ones where they are doing the dance correctly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> Most people don't do it right, but it's okay. Yeah. Because they've, they've taken ownership. They've embraced and it, but guilty as yeah, charged, embraced, but embraced, embraced it. it. For sure. Um, so yeah, that, that video is still on there. It's still referenced as like one of the best videos out there so yeah we got like half a million views i was like man we need to do something with this i reached out to a friend of mine who actually did my first magazine interview for ozone magazine uh his name was malik abdul and i was like yo man i got something will you manage me he was like yes let's do that <laughs> and so we uh that, then we just took off on the road we started doing shows started promoting the record it started blowing up um other people started posting videos on youtube and that's really what made wop so organic is that yes it was never really mine, right? Like once, once other people take ownership, like once you release your music, it's no longer yours. 
the process that you own as a musician is like the songwriting, the creation process. You own that process. But as soon as you put it out there, it's like it's everyone else's now. And it takes on the life of its own and it starts moving in ways that you couldn't have imagined. And so that's what happened with WAP. It started exploding online. Um, truly one of the more organic things that I've ever seen happen. There was no money put into marketing. No dollars. <laughs> that's wild. Put into marketing at the time. It just started exploding. And then, um, yeah, and then after that, we we shot a video and then we had like like Flo Rida came out, so yeah. love. And that was not the first time I had met Flo. We had done, I had open shows for like Briscoe and Flo and Rick Ross in okay. Gainesville. I was wondering so where that I, connection came from. So that... Yeah, all of, all of that stuff has starts happening behind the scenes. Like when you're actually grinding and you're doing work, um, you know, a lot of people just see what they see. They see the stuff that bubbles up to the top, but they don't see like the boiling that happens at the bottom of the pot. And so, yeah, it's like a lot of work went into preparing for that moment to happen. So we got on the road, we were doing shows and off the off of just the strength of us promoting the record, we sold half a million records. We sold half a million wow. years. So the record went gold. Right. Mm. And it took like, it took some time, right? But then it was one night I was laying down in my bed. It's in Jacksonville. I'll never forget it. I got a message on Twitter, a DM from Miley Cyrus. And I was like, oh shoot, is this real? Like I thought it was like a fake account. Yeah. And Miley Cyrus hit me on Twitter and she was just like, yo, I love the WAP so much. It's like my favorite thing. And I was like, oh man, I appreciate the love. And I thought that was just the end of the conversation. Right? Right. Not 24 hours later, like I went to bed and I woke up and my phone had exploded. And I was like, well, what's happening? Yeah. And on Good Morning America, there was a video of Miley Cyrus twerking in a unicorn onesie to the WAP. Now, keep in mind, at this point, we had gone gold and it took well over a year. In less than 30 days, the record was platinum. Wow. And so that was like the Miley effect. That was the, the thing <laughs> that I was like, well, you know, I, I got to give it up to her, man. I, I am forever indebted because oh, that was a moment that, that helped explode that record for That's sure. Such um, a cool story, paying that forward. Yeah, and, you know, um, you said something there that I thought was great. And it doesn't matter if you're a musician, if you're in sales, it doesn't matter what you're in. You said it, you know, you, you see the, a lot of people just see the end result. They see that boiling water. They don't see what it's underneath that and the amount of heat it took to get to that, the time it took for that water to boil. And that's a, that, that goes back to like patience and grinding. You know, there's, there's a lot of people, it doesn't matter. Some people say it's a generational thing, but I think it's just a, I think it's just a people thing. They, they see the now, they want the now. They don't want what it took to get to that right now. Which is sure, the journey, right you know, and the journey is the toughest part, but it's also the most rewarding part. You know, it's right. always about the process. And a lot of people forget that. And I love the fact that you brought that up because that's a theme from many people that have had success and still are successful to this day. Keep talking about using different analogies, but the message is the same. So I appreciate you saying that because that really drives home what we keep hearing from many of our guests about what ha the journey. Embrace that and know what it takes to get there to get to that end result. Well, I, if I might say, I think, you know, that's one of the problems with music is that like there is not necessarily a direct path. And Jay, you're one of those kind of guys that says like you do this, you do this, you do a little here, a little there. Like it's an accumulation of the efforts. You know, it's not just this one specific thing that you did that made it work. 
No, Absolutely. I, I definitely can see that. You know, a testament to this song, you know, and, and and I definitely want to move on, but the testament to this song. So you're from Jacksonville. So you know Jacksonville Beach area. We're over here at Atlantic Beach right now. My children are now at Bishop Kenny High School. Prior to that, they went to St. Paul's Middle School. And St. Paul's used to have a principal there that they would have these father-daughter dances. And I kid you not, they would kick that dance off because she had some sort of connection to this song with the WAP at a Catholic middle school dance. <laughs> Father-daughter every single year. And I just remember going, I did not see that one coming. But man, it was so well embraced. Everybody. And that's just before I knew your connection to Jacksonville. But, you know, it's funny. Like you said, it reached reached so many different people. But man, I mean. This is the father-daughter dance. Father-daughter dance, too. What's, what's not to like about this song? It teaches financial responsibility. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I, mean, I, I dude, I, 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 to me though, I was like, but I thought there'd be, I thought that might be the finisher. That might be the closer, not the, not the kickoff <laughs> every single year. It's the kickoff. I'm like, well, man, they're setting the tone right now, man. They're setting the tone every year. Get people on the dance floor. Dude, that's exactly right. And the DJ just, you know, he ate it up every time. Cause you just got all these girls out there and the dads out there with them looking foolish, but having a great time. But it, it's what you're supposed to do a father daughter dance, right? Right. So, exactly. yeah, it does. It, it lives on in so many different purposes, but I just want to share that. Yo, thank you so much for choosing us today. We're definitely not done with our podcast, but we are going to take a really short sponsor break and then we'll get right back to the show. I've been in the lending business for 20 years. I've seen many different lenders. During those 20 years, I recognized there's a difference between being an originator and an advisor. And the team at Bank of England is full of advisors. They take their time to understand your needs. They take the time to structure a mortgage for you and your family. And I cannot recommend them enough. If you're in the market to purchase a home, maybe it's a second home, maybe it's an investment property, or you're looking to refinance your current property that you live in, take a minute to work with the advisors at Bank of England Mortgage. They're a nationwide lender, and you can find your local branch at boemortgage.com. W W www.boemortgage.com because it's more than loans, it's people. Thanks so much for letting us give a shout out to our sponsor. All right, now back to the podcast. As we move into, you know, other projects and, and production that you're doing, are you doing a lot of music producing as well? Are you working on projects, music producing outside of film? Uh, yeah, yeah. I work with artists out here in, in Austin. We're actually building a songwriter community out here now, which has been really cool. I'm working with uh, an artist, Angelica Ray, um, and we're building a a songwriter community here in Austin, Texas. You know, something to mirror what's happening in Nashville, for sure. Right on. That's very cool. I saw, I think I read, and I definitely listened to a podcast you did for the arts community where you were working to get additional funding to help uh, give back to the arts community through Title IV. I believe you were trying to get more funding through Title IV to get more for the arts community and helping create awareness uh, and, and more education in music itself. Is that something you're actively still working in? Absolutely. Every year I try to, to travel to D.C. at least once and talk to some congressmen and some senators about uh, funding, whether it's ESSA or, you know, as the, the names of the bills continue to progress, we, we always continue to push forward to make sure that it's fu fully funded. So every kid has access to a full and quality education that includes arts and music. Man, that's incredible. Are you joined by other artists in that? Are you, or, I mean, do you find a, I don't really hear a lot of artists going to Capitol Hill and fighting and legislating for and lobbying for that. Like that is such a cool 
cool thing I think you're doing. And it speaks to, I think, who you are of, of, of wanting to make sure, to your point, everybody has that opportunity. For sure. I mean, that's a, another testament to the NAM organization. So the National Association of Music Merchants, um, they actually invited me out the first year that I went. And I was like, man, I didn't even know we could we could do this. Yeah. Right. I didn't know this was a, even a possibility. Um, and then I try to go back every year now um, just because I see how important it is um, to to show to show like the benefits of music education. And it's not just in music. It's also in things like math and science. Like all of those things are connected. You use the same parts of your brain. Um, and so I actually give talks uh, about how technology and music creation is almost the same process. And so that's very cool. How long have you been doing that going to Capitol Hill? Four or five years. Okay. Now. For yeah. like how how's your experience been when you go up there? I mean, I've gone as a tourist, but I've never stepped foot on Capitol Hill as a petitioning or lobbying for things. I, I learned a lot. It's definitely illuminating. One, um, I don't necessarily go out there looking for anybody to to help me. I'm like, give me the tools I need to like go back to my com- community and do something about it. So I'm very much a like, I I don't want a handout. You know, I don't want yeah. it to feel like that. Um, I, one thing I learned is that the country is pretty much run by like 22 year old staffers. Yeah. <laughs> and so I've you almost that. want to talk to them because they they generally know like all of the things that are happening for particular like senators and congressmen. And then they're basically telling them how to vote. Yeah. Pro tip. I always Pro talk tip. to this. You know, it's interesting. I had... um I was speaking with a congressman offline and and he literally said the same thing that a lot of people depend on those staffers to read, go through the, I go through the bills, go through the proposals and then debrief them on it. And to your point, give their opinion. And he said the biggest, um, the biggest challenge he has is there's not enough hours in the day because he refuses to do that. He reads every one of them. And uh, you might remember him. It was Sheriff Rutherford when you lived here. I I took a picture with him. Yep. So now you did when you were up there. Yeah. When I was up there. Yeah. Yeah. He's a class act. He's a great guy, but he said that was the hardest thing he does. He says nine hours a day. So I stay up, I read him every single night and you know, it goes until late hours in the morning, get up and do it all over again. But he said that was one of the challenges there. So Charlie, you had made mention here earlier before we did the show that uh, he was telling me a story about the two of you guys were judges on Mm -hmm. a particular like what was it, Charlie? Like a, 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 a different version of like who's got talent or, or was it? America's it was just got, like what a, was it? Right, some sort of competition. I remember that okay. guy, John Wilkes from Red Jumpsuit Apparatus, did the drums at the end. Was that the one where he did the drums? It might have been, actually, might have been a different thing, but it, um, yeah, that's where we met each other. You reached over and you grabbed my phone and, okay. and, um, and you saved some silly picture and then you called me in the middle of it and, I was like, that is a funny dude. But we went out to my box truck, and that's when you he told me. He still has the picture on the phone, by yeah. the way. <laughs> 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 <Stop>. <laughs> that sounds about right. That sounds about right. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we went out to my box truck, and we were sitting in there. And um, for people listening, it was it was a furnished box truck. But uh, we were sitting in there, and I'd asked you about, like, what was it that, like, you know, was that catalyst? And you um, you told me that story about you were sleeping and, and then you woke up and your phone was blowing up. And since then, I have taken, like, at least four naps a day. I just keep sleeping and wake, waiting to wake up and, and have this moment happen. But no matter how many times I go to sleep, it never, it never happens. <laughs> Trust <laughs> waiting on this moment over there. Yeah. Flip over to your stomach. Okay. You're sleeping on your back, man. Yeah, <laughs> okay. uh, pro tip, got to sleep on your stomach. <laughs> so when Charlie told me that, I'm like, are you a practical joker? Is that like part of your personality? Like, do you play jokes on people whenever you get a chance? Or was that just a moment thing with Charlie? You know, it, 
I play to different people's energy. Okay. So <laughs> I can see Charlie, that Charlie has that energy, man. You know? Yeah. Charlie makes people comfortable. Oh, there's I'll no doubt that. about that. There's oh, no well, doubt about that, that. That one time I came over to your house and I met your daughter and your, it was your daughter, right? And your wife. Um, mm-hmm. I just, you, you really threw me off. I thought I was getting ready to go party or something. You know what I mean? Like get, get lifted and, and, and write some tunes. I came in and it was like, you were the most family-ish man I'd ever met. And your wife was just so sweet and your kid was so well-behaved and sweet. And, uh, and that was another thing that really moved me. It was something I never forgot. I was like, I don't have to like act like the person I am on stage I can be a different person, a genuine person, both places, but I don't actually have to be necessarily the same person, you know? And, uh, I, and that one time you came into the house too, you, you, you sat down at the piano and I had no idea how much gospel you had in you. It was just like, Oh, angels started flying around the room, man. I felt my goosebumps getting goosebumps. Anyway. That's so, that, that's that I, energy you're talking about right there. That's that Charlie man. energy right there. Listen, so, you're making me blush, Charlie. All those nice things said at once, man. <laughs> well, I mean, we we leave first impressions on people. And, you know, I've played with a million different musicians and, and a lot of people I've looked up to and I met them. And I wish I didn't meet them because uh, they kind of ruined it for me. You know, I, I uh, Dang. you know what I mean? So meeting you, uh, you surpassed my expectations. You actually were a person that um, I saw a lot of myself in as far as like my spiritual walk. And uh, so anyway, yeah, I'm a big fan, but a friend, so. Man, wow. can't get a better testimony than that right there, man. Yeah, start Char- playing the closing music, start man. Start doing that, we're, and we're out, mic <laughs> drop. So uh, I, did, I, did have, I did have one more question that's always, you know, I always ask this amongst people that have had success, especially in the music industry. Has there ever been a point in your career where you're like, I want to quit, like I don't want to do it anymore? Or has that ever come through your mind where you're like, this isn't for me? Or has it always been a path that's about this? Absolutely. I think if if you're not, if you don't have those moments, you're not passionate enough about the thing. Yeah. Because success is not a straight line. Um, there are always going to be moments where you're like, I'm really good at this. And then you're like, I am the worst at this. <laughs> and if you don't, it, that, that thin line between love and hate thing applies to passions as well. So um, the more that I love something, the more that I probably hate it at, at any given moment. It just depends. So have I ever wanted to quit? Absolutely. Um, you know, for every for every yes that you have seen that has happened in my career, there has been like ten thousand no's that it sits on top of. And right? that's that's what I was wanting to get out of you. Cause I want people to hear that. I think people Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think people they get they see this, man. They get involved in this and they see all the highlights and they see all the all the doctored up videos and and the things that have been edited picture wise and they get this false sense of reality of what, you know, it really takes to get to that next level. And that without a healthy balance of fear and and faith, you know, you're you. It's not always going to be sunshines and rainbows, man. There's going to be a lot more right. rainy days, a lot more. Right. And you've right. got to learn to embrace those rainy days and say, without this bad, I'll never know what the good's going to look like. I, I would never For have sure. a barometer. And I think, um, you know, as I'm raising two amazing kids right now, this is a message that we're trying to hammer home, uh, especially in the likes of uh, competition. You know, because this this creates false competition right now. And it's uh, it's unfortunate the world that we live in because they're playing unfair with this. This is an unfair comparison. And I think when we can get, uh, you know, people, doesn't matter how old you are, away from that, we can understand that sometimes those rainy days are necessary and it helps us embrace those those really sunny days, you know, and those ones that have rainbows in them for everybody too, man. So it's a, I'm glad to, uh, I'm glad to hear that's how you feel. And thank you for sharing that with us. 
because it's, it's an important message. So last question here. We, we kind of have a world right now where artists are performing on stage. They're getting stuff thrown at them. They're getting borderline attacked while they're on stage. What kind of what, what kind of message is that? Not only is it sending to the artist, but I mean, I, I'm very like shocked. We live in a world right now where that's acceptable. Like, I pay a ticket and then I'm gonna try to throw this Yeti cup at you while you're on stage. Like, wh- why even go? You know, is there is what's your take on that? What's going on right now? Because it's not just one genre; it's across all genre planes right now. I think it's a an indicator of where our society and our culture is. Right now, I think everybody is looking for their own viral moment because mm-hmm. they they attach themselves to that that level of self-importance. And that's defined by, you know, how many people like my photos or like my videos or, you know, having that moment where somebody threw something at an artist on stage or somebody threw something at Pink while she was singing. And it was like, you know, that's your moment. That's something that you say, I'm going to show my kids or my friends, you know, look, that was me. This is something that I did. And you, uh, you know, you subscribe to that being like, man, something needs to go viral with me in it in order for me to feel important. Um, and that's, that's just not, it's not real. And, you know, again, we're in a cycle and this is going to change. I know that there are young, young, young kids right now that are like, social media is stupid. And that, Love that, it. that is coming. Right. That is coming where this will get pushed out because once everybody can do something, it becomes no longer cool. And culture, my, one of my favorite things about culture is that it's the only thing that I can think of that in real time is both informed by and informs the participants of it. And it becomes this wheel of like, OK, we are informed by culture and then we also inform culture of where we want it to go. And so um, I, I love that 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 happens. But in that, you don't always get to control where it goes either. So I think we're just in a, at a weird point in the cycle where we have been given a drug, a powerful drug that you know creates endorphins on demand and creates dopamine on demand, um, and we get addicted to that thing, right? And whatever it takes to get that is is what I want. Um, it's the same thing as as any kind of a physical drug. Same thing's happening with social media. And so until until you recognize it and can use social media as a tool um, as opposed to a crutch, then we'll we'll be in that cycle. But I think eventually, like some some information is getting out there, the right information, and hopefully it starts to set in. Man, well said. I love it. That's uh that is a message that should be shared over and over and over again. Um that 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 is spot on. I heard Simon Sinek say something very, very similar to that, but that in that dopamine endorphin part is critical because you know you can deplete yourself of that. I don't know if a lot of people know that. Like, it's not like study shows. It's a scientific fact. You can deplete your, excuse me, deplete your dopamine and endorphin levels. And, you know, when you see someone scrolling up nonstop to get to the next reel, to get to the next reel, that's all they're doing. They're just depleting that as they're doing mm-hmm. it. And what will happen is that false sense of reality becomes created and nothing gets you pumped anymore. Like nothing excites you anymore. And that's where we're starting to see these levels of depression set in. Because they can't get excited about something that's real time and in front of them because it's, this this has drained them of it. You know, just like your right. gas in your car, man, it's going to run out eventually. How do you fill it back up? That's the question I ask. How do you re, how do you retrain that? And, uh, you know, a lot of lot of studies now say you just got to get away from it. So I, I, I was excited to hear you say there's a generation pushing it out because that's that's for the better. For sure, I try. I try to maintain that that gap that gap between uh, you know, what I use social media for, and then like actual life, yeah, which is more important. Yes, exactly. I love that living in the moment. 
I can't thank you enough for being on this show today. I know you got somewhere you got to be. I just, I'm super grateful for your time, sharing your experiences, your philosophy, your take on where we are right now, and then sharing some of the success that you've had with us here on this show today. Greatly appreciate your time. Charlie, thank you so much for having him on the show for us today and uh, enjoying us, man. You're not always on here. It was great having you on here and great having your input. So Jay Dash, thank you again so much for being on the show. Guys, if you like what you're hearing, please five-star review this podcast, share it with a friend, share it with a family member. We're on Apple, we're on Spotify, we're on Google, we're on Amazon, and then check us out on our YouTube channel at What's Your One More with the number one and subscribe. Till the next time, guys, J Dash, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I got one more shot, I'm gonna make it. One more chance, I'm gonna take it. I meant it when I said it, now it's time for me to do it. I got one life to live, so I put all into it, yeah.